Chapter forty two of My Reminiscences by Rabindranath Tagore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty two Bereavements. In the meantime, death made its appearance in our family. Before this, I had never met death face to face. When my mother died, I was quite a child. She had been ailing for quite a long time, and we did not even know when her malady had taken a fatal turn. She used all along to sleep on a separate bed in the same room with us. Then in course of her illness, she was taken for a boat trip on the river, and on her return, a room on the third story of the inner apartments was set apart for her. On the night she died, we were fast asleep in our room downstairs. At whatever I cannot tell, our old nurse came running in weeping and crying. Oh, my little ones, you have lost your all. My sister-in-law rebuked her and led her away to save us the sudden shock at dead of night. Half awakened by her words, I felt my heart sink within me, but could not make out what had happened. When in the morning we were told of her death, I could not realize all that it meant for me. As we went on into the veranda, we saw my mother laid on a bedstead in the courtyard. There was nothing in her appearance which showed death to be terrible. The aspect which death wore in that morning light was as lovely as a calm and peaceful sleep, and the gulf between life and its absence was not brought home to us. Only when her body was taken out by the main gateway and we followed the procession to the cremation ground did a storm of grief pass through me at the thought that mother would never return by this door and take again her accustomed place in the affairs of her household. The day wore on. We returned from the cremation, and as we turned into our lane, I looked up at the house towards my father's rooms on the third story. He was still in the front veranda, sitting motionless in prayer. She, who was the youngest daughter-in-law of the house, took charge of the motherless little ones. She herself saw to our food and clothing and all our other wants, and kept us constantly near, so that we might not feel our loss too keenly. One of the characteristics of the living is the power to heal the irreparable, to forget the irreplaceable, and in early life this power is strongest, so that no blow penetrates too deeply, no scar is left permanently. Thus the first shadow of death, which fell on us, left no darkness behind. It departed as softly as it came, only a shadow. When, in later life, I wandered about like a madcap, at the first coming of spring, with a handful of half-blown jessamines tied in a corner of my muslin scarf, and as I stroked my forehead with a soft, rounded, tapering buds, the touch of my mother's fingers would come back to me, and I clearly realized the tenderness which dwelt in the tips of these lovely fingers was the very same as that which blossoms every day in the purity of these jessamine buds, and that whether we know it or not, this tenderness is on the earth in boundless measure. The acquaintance which I made with death at the age of twenty-four was a permanent one, and its blow has continued to add itself in each succeeding bereavement in an ever-lengthening chain of tears. The lightness of infant life 
can skip aside from the greatest of calamities but with age evasion is not so easy and the shock of that day i had to take full on my breast that there could be any gap in the unbroken procession of the joys and sorrows of life was a thing i had no idea of i could therefore see nothing beyond and this life i had accepted as all in all when of a sudden death came and in a moment made a gaping rent in its smoothing seeming fabric i was utterly bewildered all round the trees the soil the water the sun the moon the stars remained as immovably true as before and yet the person who was as truly there who through a thousand points of contact with life mind and heart was ever so much more true for me had vanished in a moment like a dream what perplexing self-contradiction it all seemed to me as i looked around how was i ever to reconcile that which remained with that which had gone the terrible darkness which has disclosed to me through this rent continued to attract me night and day as time went on i could ever and anon return to my stand there and gaze upon it wondering what there was left in place of what had gone emptiness is a thing man cannot bring himself to believe in that which is not is untrue and that which is untrue is not so our efforts to find something where we see nothing are unceasing just as a young plant surrounded by darkness stretches itself as it were on tiptoe to find its way out into the light so when death suddenly throws the darkness of negation round the soul it tries and tries to rise into the light of affirmation and what other sorrow is comparable to the state wherein darkness prevents the finding of a way out of the darkness and yet in the midst of this unbearable grief flashes of joy seem to sparkle in my mind now and again in a way which quite surprised me that life was not a stable permanent fixture was itself the sorrowful tidings which helped to lighten my mind that we were not prisoners for ever within a solid stone wall of life was the thought which unconsciously kept coming uppermost in the rushes of gladness that which i had held i was made to let go this was the sense of loss which distressed me but when at the same moment i viewed it from the standpoint of freedom gained a great peace fell upon me the all-pervading pressure of worldly existence compensates itself by balancing life against death and thus it does not crush us the terrible weight of an unopposed life force as not to be endured by man this truth came upon me that day as a sudden wonderful revelation with the loosening of attraction of the world the beauty of the nature took on for me a deeper meaning death had given me the correct perspective from which to perceive the world in the fullness of its beauty and as i saw the picture of the universe against the background of death i found it entrancing at this time i was attacked with the recrudescence of eccentricity in thought and behaviour to be called upon to submit to the customs and fashions of the day as if they were something soberly and genuinely real made me want to laugh i could not take them seriously the burden of stopping to consider what other people might think of me was completely lifted off my mind i have been about in fashionable bookshops 
with a coarse sheet draped round me as my only upper garment and a pair of slippers on my bare feet through hot and cold and wet i used to sleep on the veranda of the third story there the stars and i could gaze at each other and no time was lost in greeting the dawn this face had nothing to do with any ascetic feeling it was more like a holiday spree as the result of discovering the schoolmaster life with his cane to be a myth and thereby being able to shake off myself free from the petty rules of his school if on waking one fine morning we were to find gravitation reduced to only fraction of itself would we still demurely walk along the high road would we not rather skip over many storied houses for a change or on encountering the monument take a flying jump rather than trouble to walk around it that was why with the weight of worldly life no longer clogging my feet i could not stick the usual course of convention alone on the terrace in the darkness of night i groped all over like a blind man trying to find upon the black stone gate of death some device or sign then when i woke with the morning light falling on that unscreened bed of mine i felt as i opened my eyes that my enveloping gaze was becoming transparent and as on the clearing of the mist the hills and rivers and forests of the scene shined forth so the dew-washed picture of the world life spread out before me seemed to become renewed and ever so beautiful end of chapter 42 read by lambda